It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Saba Tahir once said, There are two kinds of guilt, the kind that drowns you until you're useless, and the kind that fires your soul to purpose. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? How can we overcome crushing guilt? Our theme text, Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. So how can we overcome crushing guilt? Joining us today also is Julie. Hi, such an important topic today, applicable to everyone. It is, it is. So coming up in today's podcast, guilt over something can ruin your life. We're going to listen to and learn from someone who's been there. Jennifer will share her tragic, heart-wrenching, true story with us throughout our podcast. We all know to ask forgiveness for our wrongdoing, but what if we don't feel forgiven? Find out ways to cope with this and learn to live forgiven in about 30 minutes. And finally, what can our life of Christian faith look like when we finally put our guilt experiences into a God-based perspective? This can be awesome. And we're going to talk about it in about 45 minutes. So what are we supposed to do? What do we do when we've done something, be it purposefully or by accident, that causes someone excessive harm or loss or even tragedy? How, how, can, how do we go on? How do, how do we face our family or those we've hurt? What do we do? How do we live with ourselves? Crushing guilt can bring us into a place of dark and misery-ridden hopelessness. It can make our life feel joyless and pointless. The good news, as Christians, we have access to God through Jesus. While they don't miraculously lift us out of the mire of crushing guilt, they will, if we let them, give us direction, strength, and hope. We just need to be willing to do the necessary work of faith. So, how do we get there from here? Well, we'll start with the story of someone who has been in this situation and is now walking this difficult road to acceptance. So, Julie, tell us about our pre-recorded guest, Jennifer. Jennifer Eichenhorst is the host of a podcast called Accidental Hope. She's been married to her high school sweetheart for 20 years. She has four children, ages 9 through 18, and she's a middle school math intervention teacher working with struggling students. After being involved with a fatal accident in 2016, Jennifer started her podcast to help share hope and healing found in Jesus for others involved with similar traumas. And for our listeners who want to learn more, you can go to accidentalhope.com. So I have actually spent several hours talking with Jennifer. I was actually a guest on her podcast for a two-part series uh, last year, and I got to know her, and I got to know her struggle, and she has been working through this tragedy, which you'll hear about in just a moment, for a long time. She's worked hard. She's worked in faith, and I have deep appreciation for how far she's been able to come. So when you listen to her tell her story, 
think about it from the standpoint of here's somebody who's gone through all of these difficult things and she's looking back to say, here, take a look at this. Let me share the pain and the anxiety and the frustration and the goodness that God has to give us. So we start, well, we'll just get started with the first soundbite and we're introducing Jennifer to you. I am here with Jennifer Eichenhorst from Accidental Hope, her own podcast that is now in its third season. Our podcast today is the question, how can we overcome crushing guilt? What, Jennifer, is your life experience that brought you face-to-face with crushing guilt? You know, we all have little experiences as we're growing, you know, things we feel guilty about and that we would give to the Lord and we would work through and ask for forgiveness. But the the moment or experience that I would say changed everything, it was when I had an accident in 2016. It was just a normal day and I did everything to the best of my ability in following the law. But on a Tuesday, on October 4th, I had an accident with a motorcyclist and I pulled out in front of him. He didn't have enough time to react or respond and he hit the backside of my car and that accident ultimately resulted in his death. So my crushing guilt is that I was involved in an accident that caused a fatality. Father, you know, a veteran and an innocent person. I didn't really know how to function (laughs) or survive or process that type of guilt. And unfortunately, there just weren't a lot of resources for me. There wasn't anyone that was willing to have a sermon about this. (laughs) There wasn't a book about this. So she's she's recounting this death that her that that she caused in in this accident and looking back and just feeling the pain and again I know I know Jennifer and the 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 sorrow every time she talks about this there's that that welling up sorrow and she covers it with a giggle here or there because it's hard. It is so hard, even almost five years later, to be able to look back and tell the story, even though she's told this story so many times. Jonathan, let's just frame ourselves with understanding guilt and shame here. Well, in the Old Testament, the word for guilt means by implication to be punished or perish. And the New Testament word means liable to a condition, penalty, or imputation. Okay, so we've got guilt, and it's very, very much a a, a legalistic perspective there. What What about shame? Well, shame in the Old Testament means disgrace, and in the New Testament, it means shame or disgrace abstractly or concretely. Well, Rick, um... Both guilt and shame need to be addressed, and both need to be put into a context of growth and not destruction. And see, that's a key. We have to have all of this that we're dealing with in a context of growing and not destruction. That's what God wants us to do through Christ. How do you do that when you've caused something horrible to happen and you carry the weight of that guilt? How do you do that? Well, the path to understanding guilt and shame and making sure they serve a godly purpose passes through many developmental phases. Each phase is meant to help us look forward as we struggle. Now, sometimes we have guilt from an accident, like Jennifer. She didn't mean to, but what she did caused somebody's death. Sometimes we have guilt because of something we did purposefully. And a really good example of that, unfortunately, is King David and some of his really awful decisions. 
So we want to look forward and looking forward while we're going through it, we face our guilt and shame. And so that's taking conviction. I have to be convicted in my heart and my mind of my wrongdoing. And after King David confronted his sin with Bathsheba, he began to look forward. I will go through Psalm 51, one to three. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly for my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Psalm 51 was written as a reflection of the horror of what David had done and his working through, understanding it, seeing it, and feeling it, and coping with it, and facing with it, so he could deal with it. So it's a heartfelt uh, expression of what he's going through. And looking forward, you're in that sin, and you've got to look forward and find a way through. So he starts out just asking for grace. Be gracious to me, God, because your loving kindness is so great. I need to be washed. Each time we talk about guilt and shame, we need to reframe it. We need to reframe it so we can see it in a good perspective. So this looking forward, Julie, you mentioned conviction. Reframing guilt and shame, I have to work. I must work to develop a righteous conviction of heart and mind towards that which I have done as opposed to hiding behind denial and blaming. Well, why is it? that denial and blaming are the first reactions we go to, Mm -hmm. then when we realize it, our shame is compounded. Why not be honest with ourselves about our sins and take steps to change and seek forgiveness? Our first inclination might be to, this is what I do, rationalize our guilt with some sort of excuse. So we make up some sort of acceptable reason why we're doing something because our flesh hates feeling guilty, but we have to be honest about our real motives. And that can be hard because it's so big and so painful. You just want it to go away. And it's hard to get your arms around the reality. And so as as we were talking to Jennifer, we asked her, Jennifer, how did you feel after the dust settled, after it began to, 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 to sink in what had actually happened? Here's what she said. There is absolute psychological shock. You know, if you've ever experienced a traumatic event that causes your nervous system just to shake, um, that's the type of situation we're talking about here. I'm going to reference kind of like a contraction in labor. It comes in waves and just accepting this new reality. I was deeply grieved for a stranger. So therefore, I became a stranger in my own home. When you have an accident where it involves a family member, and, and that is certainly a whole other dynamic of accidental death when the person that dies is also a family member there is like layers of other grief because i've heard from people who have caused the death of their own child or spouse in my situation i was deeply grieved like i lost a spouse or a child and i didn't understand that part either Um, And so therefore, my children and my husband were trying to understand me. I mean, I was crying all the time. I didn't understand the will to live, didn't know how to go on. It's very confusing, Mm -hmm. you know, like realizing, oh, I just woke up. I woke up, but he didn't wake up. Mm. And then it would come in like, oh, my children still need me, but his children don't have the choice. And, and And then you have the legal side of it, where even though I was not distracted that night, there has to be an investigation just to uphold the law. And um, I I still did not have the right of way. So I take, you know, responsibility. There's just 
so many things happening at one time. And so the dust settled in phases. But I will tell you that when I would see an answer to prayer, despite my brokenness and despite we're in this mess, I would be like, oh, wow, wait a minute. God just, God, God just answered that prayer. And we're still in the middle of this. And it would give me hope. That would give me that next day to fight for the next day. When we talk about crushed to dust, my mental, emotional, spiritual, and even physical and financial, everything was crushed. I didn't know how to be a wife for a while. I didn't know how to be a mother for a while or a daughter. Really, the only thing I continued to do, oddly enough, was teach my classes. Um, it, it kind of like shut out the world where I could return to something that happened before the accident and I would teach my middle schoolers and put on a, a brave face and um, pretend like I was still just that middle school math teacher that had a perfectly clean driving record and never hurt anyone. So, so much worked around pretending that everything was okay, when inside she's just broken up and, and forgot, didn't know how to do anything because her life was destroyed because something she had done destroyed somebody else's life. That's crushing guilt. That is crushing. And we need to learn how to look forward, and that's what she was struggling with. So, Julie, let's go back to looking forward. Sure. To look forward to face our guilt and shame, we have to think about confession. I must sincerely, plainly, and most likely painfully, lay my sins fully before God. Whether these sins are intentional or unintentional, I have to disclose them. Going back to Psalm 51, now verse 4 to 5, against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So now in Psalm 51, David is, is beginning to understand the responsibility, and he's saying, God, it's against you that I have sinned. I, I have, I, I've, I've hurt people, but it's against you. I have, I have sinned against the highest possible thing in my life, the most important possible thing. God spoke to David through Nathan. So when he says, you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge, he's referring to Nathan, thou art the man. You're the one who did this, and you need to, to take responsibility. David had to look forward, and it was a messy, messy look forward. So let's reframe this guilt and this shame. I must learn, just based on what Julie said earlier, I must learn to be open, to receive and embrace the magnitude of my own wrongdoing, knowing that I am in God's hands, and healing can only come through honesty. And we all know that, but that is so much easier said than done. So as we look forward, Through the fog and emotion of coping with crushing guilt, it's a hard and draining task. To help with this, we want to also focus on the victory that comes from arriving at a point of acceptance and peace. That's a little bit down the road. As we use Psalm 51, and Julie is going to keep referring us to that, to look forward, we're also going to use Psalm 32, and Jonathan's going to continue to refer us to that, to look back over the journey. Psalm 32 was written about the same sinful period of David's life, but it's a look back at David's sin after he had faced it and fully given it to God. This teaches us to the growth value that guilt and shame can have once they are managed. It's now all a memory of a valued learning experience. David was able to look back on it, and we're watching Jennifer also look back on her experience because it took years for her to learn. So Jonathan, first point on looking back. 
Looking back over my guilt and shame as a life lesson, happiness. It is possible for happiness to be on my horizon. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So how blessed is he? Happiness. Looking back, we can, in the middle of this, look forward and say, by God's grace, there can be happiness. So when we reframe our guilt and our shame, what we need to look at and say is, I can. I can find happiness again. That's what David is saying in Psalm 32. As it comes from receiving the gifts of God's grace and forgiveness from God through Jesus over time. This is a result of humble effort to allow God's love to win. This is hard, but it can be done. It is so important to have the assurance that we can find relief and peace after being crushed by guilt. What happens when I ask for forgiveness, but I don't feel forgiven? Do I keep asking or just give up? Don't just give up. With wrongdoing, intentional or not, that leads to crushing guilt, we really need to grasp the fact that time is a necessary companion to healing. The shock of our experiences and the fallout of the results are only eased by the slow and steady process of intentional faith and faith, trust, and effort toward God. So this idea of asking but not feeling forgiven doesn't mean you stop. It takes time, especially when there's such a difficult circumstance that we're dealing with in our own lives, especially something like Jennifer is talking about something she did. So one of the questions we asked her was, Jennifer, did you give up on God? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Good. Good. I, I wrestled. I mean, I was angry with the Lord. Mm. I mean, when um, the man that was in my accident, his name was David. I, I prayed without ceasing for 48 hours straight where I denied food tried to deny water and I I did nothing but pray continuously for this man for a supernatural healing while he was in the hospital. I knew I stood on God's gonna do this miracle. I just know it. I just know it. And he'll eventually forgive me for pulling out in front of him. And it will be just this beautiful story. And I was just in my in my sadness. But there was a part of me that knew, I think, um, too, that it, it was going to turn out the way that it did. So I wrestled with God. And then when, when it was final, I was angry, but I was still talking to God. How many times have we wanted to jump in our time machines, go back in time and just redo a few seconds that would make everything right again? And, and for Jennifer, it was literally a split second. I mean, yeah. that's literally what it came down to. And, and I appreciate the idea, the honesty about wrestling with God and, and praying and trying to tell God, look, this is going to be the happy ending. This is going to be it. This is going to be it. But knowing deep down, no, really, it's not. But trying and, and, and wrestling, she had to work forward through that. And you have to go through that pain because that's part of the healing process. So, Julie, let's go back to looking forward. Sure. Well, to look forward, you have to face our guilt and shame, and that's with a contrite heart. To have a contrite heart is to trust that God's will and way for me are in place for my highest good. And we go back to Psalms 51, 6 through 8. Behold, you desire truth in my innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. 
Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. And I really like that phrase, truth in the innermost being. It strikes me because this inward truth concept, it only appears here and in Job 38, 36. David realized for all the wonderful things he was, he lacked a purity of heart, a purity of motive, and he prayed for help in an honest way. And that takes an incredible amount of humility, that broken, that contrite heart to be able to do that. It's interesting, he he, he asks God to purif- be purified with hyssop, and that would clean him. Well, hyssop was used in the cleansing from leprosy in the law. So that there's a very clear, uh, I, I am contaminated, please clean me. The contrite heart focuses on whatever it takes to be made whole again. That's the idea of a contrite heart. It's not just feeling bad. It's wanting to be made clean again. Well, Jesus is our source of true healing, uh, especially healing of a broken and contrite heart. And that's brought out in Luke 4, verse 18, in the King James Version. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. You think about healing the brokenhearted. Our hearts can break for a lot of reasons. And causing someone great harm, like we're talking about with, with David's experience and, and with, the, with our guest Jennifer's experience, that can break your heart. Jesus came to heal those things, but we have to let him. So as we reframe our guilt and our shame, we have to work at having confidence in humility, having confidence that my brokenness can be revived through repentance. We have to, to, to look at things and, and, and see it differently. See, here's the thing. We, we all talk about, well, we have confidence that God will provide. We have confidence in God's overrulings. We have confidence in God's promises. So then why do we lack confidence in God's forgiveness? Why is that the thing that we're always questioning, always wondering, always going back to? We have to, humility, if we have confidence in humility, we can have confidence in forgiveness. So now, Jonathan, we are looking back. So now we want to look back over the experience and see what David learned and what we can learn by saying, yes, there's victory on the horizon. Looking back over my guilt and shame as a life lesson, remember, I need to vividly recall the condition of being crushed by guilt and shame without relief as a strong reminder towards humility. In other words, use the struggle to move forward. Let's read Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with fever heat of summer, Selah. I talked to before about how we make excuses when we feel guilty, but another way we might act when guilty is to continue doing what's wrong. We know it's wrong. We can't help ourselves to stop. And it's where the pleasure or comfort we get is greater than our determination to stop. And this really comes to play with addictive sins like overeating or alcohol or improper sexual desires. We hate ourselves for it. And it's a frustrating way to live. So don't ignore your conscience. Conviction, confession, contrite heart is where we start. And Rick and Jonathan, I hate to bring this up, but when it comes to guilt and shame, a big problem within Christianity is pornography. And I wanted to give you just a few statistics from some research studies from the Barna Group and Covenant Eyes. 
They say 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. And of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. So guilt and shame, we have a lot of issues out there that we need to follow these procedures. And and especially with those kinds of things. And, that, and that's a subject for a different podcast, to, to how do you break the addictive behavior cycle? Uh, we're not talking about that specifically here, but the same principle applies in deal, dealing with the guilt and shame. If you stay in the guilt and shame, Psalm 32 three and four, uh, you're, you waste away, and, and God's handy will, hand will be heavy upon you. So this is so important to put it in perspective. David in Psalm 32 is looking back saying, this is how I felt, past tense. So let's reframe this guilt and shame. We don't want to feel that way. We want to be revived. How do we get there? To reframe guilt and shame, I must always seek to appreciate the path through trial that eventually brought my life to a place of peace. Don't forget the path you had to walk. If you got past it by God's grace, that's wonderful. Never forget how you got there. So as Jennifer was working her way through, as she was looking forward and trudging through, another question we asked her was, how did you accept appropriate responsibility, appropriate responsibility for what you had done? Well, I don't know of an exact moment where it changed. I think it slowly changed, Um, but I went through a rabbit hole. I really did uh, go down to what I would consider rock bottom, where I wasn't sure I wanted to live. I couldn't imagine this much pain. Um, I was getting help. I was seeking um, a licensed Christian counselor, talking to my doctors, um, pretty much keeping it a secret from my immediate family as much as possible, although I think they suspected everything. I didn't want to cause them more pain. I'm going to say I took on too much responsibility to an unhealthy level almost immediately. Um, As soon as he passed away, I felt immediate hate, whether it was imagined or real. I mean, there was, there were real attacks, you know, persecution from people who knew the victim. And that's okay. I want to just say they were processing their own grief. There is no um, judgment on that. But with that, I took on something that was unhealthy. I wanted them to hate me. I took on that almost like self-punishment. I felt my own self-hate and I wanted everyone to hate me and blame me. And I even said to God, I would rather them hate me than hate you. Even though I was angry with the Lord, I didn't want to be the person that caused them to turn away from God in this situation. No person can take that. Like we aren't built to carry that kind of burden. He has shoulders big enough to handle that. Um, Not built for that kind of weight. But I, I thought that that was right for a little while. And that was the enemy's lie. I allowed myself to be crushed for a while. Working with my counselor and therapist, and I realized I don't have that much control, Rick. I'm one person. There were a million little moments. My choices, his choices, all these little things that had to happen to come to that one moment in time. And so then I had to like process like, like I really don't have that much power. Like God was still in control that night. He could have supernaturally moved that split second decision. He could have landed him in the grass instead of the road. I mean, 
But I had to kind of go at the end of the day, do I trust the Lord or not? Punishing ourselves for wrongdoing is not the right thinking. God can bring the appropriate amount of chastisement if we leave ourselves in his hands. And if anyone has a reason to inflict punishment on himself, it was the apostle Paul. But even he said in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, I judge not mine own self. He left the judgment to God. And that's such an important thing. And and you've got to work through the process. And you could hear in that last soundbite, Jennifer's struggle to work through and how she, yes, hate me. Go ahead. I deserve to be hated. It was a mistake. And yet you can't get out of your own way. And it's such a difficult thing. Guilt and shame can be so hard on us. We've got just a few very short quotes from Brene Brown. She is very, very good. I would recommend anybody who's struggling with guilt and shame, look her up. Uh, She does TED Talks and so forth. Uh, Julie, just a few short quotes from Brene Brown on guilt and shame. Yeah, this is from her TED Talk called Listening to Shame. She said this, shame drives two big tapes, never good enough. And who do you think you are? Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Sorry I made a mistake is guilt. Sorry I am a mistake is shame. Shame is highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, and so so on, and guilt is inversely correlated, end quote. So we have to understand that guilt is, is much more of the legalistic perspective. Shame is what we feel. Now, shame can be a good and appropriate thing, as long as it's in place in a godly way. But when we let it get out of hand, and Jennifer's example showed us how it got out of hand, it it destroys. It just simply destroys. And we need to fight through that, as Jennifer is showing us she was trying to fight through that. So then let's get back to looking forward in this fight. Julie, what about looking forward? Well, we might feel like David in Psalm 40, 12, when he said, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. And that's when it's so bad, we can't even bring ourselves to look up to God. But I can't wait until I feel worthy to pray. So I must pray for mercy, pray specifically, and pray with sincerity. And that brings us back to Psalm 51, 9 through 12. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. So David is putting this in, into perspective, and he's saying, he's begging the Lord, don't, don't cast me away. Bring me back. I just need to be back in your presence, in, in good graces. I made such bad choices. Prayed with mercy specifically and pray with sincerity. Such sincere praying and searching for God's mercy will not fall on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 11. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. So as we reframe our guilt and our shame, you're right, Jonathan, it doesn't fall on deaf ears. I must realize the power of God's mercy is based on his view of my life with 
eternity in mind. See, I can't see that. He can. I have to give the view of this to the Father so he can see it, his view of my life with eternity in mind. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18, the whole thing is worth reading, but it's how our afflictions are but for a moment compared to the more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do we believe that? Do I believe that? And that's the struggle of looking forward. So Jonathan, now David was looking back in Psalm 32. Take us to the principles of what Psalm 32 teaches about being able to look back at the journey. Well, continue remembering maintain a vivid and pointed memory of seeking, receiving, and embracing God's forgiveness. And Rick and Julie, that made me think, you know, when we remember our past mistakes, it gives us the ability to soften judgment of others. Hmm. Now let's read Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I do not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. So in Psalm 32, David is continuing to remember. But here's what he says. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. That means he saw his sin. I saw it. He says, I, my iniquity I did not hide. That means he showed his sin to God. So he saw it, and then he showed it. And then he says, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. So he saw it, he showed it, and then he said it. That is how we deal with our sins. He's looking back and saying, this is the way to find the pathway to peace with such horrible sin. So as we reframe guilt and shame, I must work to keep the process and power of God's forgiveness real as I know I am susceptible to sinking back into my crushing guilt. It's so easy to fall backwards. We have to stand against that. Overcoming crushing guilt is not easy. It requires a steady approach and continuous reminders of God's grace. Once I get the being forgivable part in order, what comes next in overcoming my crushing guilt? As we move through this process, we need to remember that the steps we continue to take should bring us further from our guilt, but not further from the vitality of our forgiveness. Daily thankfulness for forgiveness is a strong foundation for the arduous and focused process of repairing and rebuilding. So daily thankfulness for our forgiveness. We're we're, we're not suggesting going back in time into the experience, but we're suggesting daily thanking God for his incredible forgiveness and his grace and his mercy in our lives. Let's go back to Jennifer's story, and we asked her about turning the corner and and the ability to move forward after going through this horrifically difficult struggle and guilt and the shame that she carried every day for so, so long. The weight, the responsibility, I own full responsibility. I will always deeply regret that I did not treat that intersection like a busy highway. I did not, it was a quiet country road on the top of a hill. My daughters were in the car with me. We were just catching up on her day because she was with friends and I hadn't, you know, I wanted to know about her volleyball game and the enemy was lurking. The enemy was waiting for this one moment where I put my guard down because I'm a very defensive driver. I'd never been in an accident before. That night, I did not inch past the stop sign 
I'll never understand why I didn't. I was just like, oh, it's a quiet country road. There's no one here. I think that's where um, the enemy's lurking for those little moments. I always will deeply regret becoming complacent in that moment, but I can't take it back. Right. And I have to now just trust God with the situation and say, instead of why, what now? What can I do now to be the best version of myself as a, you know, a wife, mother, community member, and even to pay it forward? So the interesting perspective here is learning to stop asking that why question and replacing it with what do I do now? I can't take back what I did. And she, it, I, I again appreciate her her willingness to accept such full, complete responsibility. There is no sense of excuse. I did this. I don't know why, but I did it. Can't change it. So what now? So as you're struggling through. Let's go back to the looking forward part of this. Julie, what do you have? Well, I need to begin to put the pieces I broke back together. Hmm. And we'll go back to Psalm 51, this time verses 13 to 16. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. And sometimes when we're crushed by guilt, rather than dealing with the actual problem, we might try to offset our guilt by doing good works. Here, David is talking about, you know, making sacrifices. It tries to make us feel more worthy. We try to bypass those hard parts that we've been talking about of being honest with Mm -hmm. ourselves and God, trying to make up for it somewhere else. And we need to remember And this is so important. There is no sin that can't be forgiven if we are truly repentant of heart, no matter how bad and ugly our inner core gets. The key is repentance. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is living, I'm sorry for what I did, by trying to make things right. So the idea here is to try to look to put the pieces that you broke Put them back together somehow or other. Now, sometimes to fix what we broke can be impossible. In such cases, and and Jennifer mentioned this, in such cases, we need to look for a way to pay it forward. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. Julie, you mentioned him earlier in the podcast. He couldn't fix the lives that he destroyed when he was Saul of Tarsus and he was hunting Christians down. He couldn't undo what he had done, but he could do something to pay it forward by taking what was given to him in terms of privilege and grace and spreading it as far as his energy could carry him. So two things that the Apostle Paul did. First, he accepted complete responsibility for his actions. Jonathan, let's go to Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. In a couple more verses, Uh, that we'll be reading, Paul is recounting a conversation that he had with Jesus in a vision. And here's what he said in Acts 22, verses 17 to 20. And I said, Lord, they themselves understood that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. You know, Rick and Julia, he has learned to embrace his past as a springboard for his future. 
He knows there's damage that can't be fixed, but he knows God's grace is bigger than the damage. And that's always the case when we have a repentant heart. God's grace is bigger, but we have to go find it. We have to approach it. We have to plow through all of the mess to get there. And a big part of that is accepting responsibility for our actions, the way the Apostle Paul did. And Jennifer is showing us how she learned to do that through a lot of hard work and a lot of incredible heartache. The second thing the Apostle Paul did is he answered the call from Jesus to preach the gospel And he did that, he answered it with his whole being. Jonathan, let's go to Acts 26, uh, 19 through 20, 19 and 20. And this is Jesus before King Agrippa. This Uh, is Paul Paul before King Agrippa. I knew that. (laughs) So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. I love the way he says it. I did not prove disobedient to the vision. Jesus told me once, and that's all he had to say, and I ran for the rest of my life forward to honor and praise God through Christ. I didn't prove disobedient to that because he had so much to carry, so much weight, and his regret became a powerful thing. Paul replaced shame and guilt, which is what we always are troubled with, with the powerful and motivating uh, application of appropriate regret. Yeah, and in our physical body, pain is good because it alerts us that something's wrong. And it tells us we need to take a kind of action to preserve our well-being. But guilt of conscience does the same for our moral qualities. Think of it as a warning sign. It's a red flag waving that you're doing or are about to do something that will bring injury to your spiritual life. And Christian Questions has just a wonderful two-part series I highly recommend called Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? And those were episodes 912 and 914 using the Apostle Paul as a base of the lesson. Guilt from a legal perspective is lifted from us, but regret should never go away. And regret should never go away because it's an incredible springboard to positive behavior. That's the key. That's why we've got to look at that particular perspective. So good, good references on that. So let's reframe guilt and shame because these are the things that weigh us down. I must work at living forgiven. This means applying myself to my God-given opportunities so his name can be praised as a result of my brokenness. So Rick, what you're saying is make our brokenness, our mistake, our sin valuable moving forward testifying of our sins. And that's the thing. If we, ma- we Look, we all make mistakes, so have them become valuable. It's a, it's a choice. Who are you going to follow? You're going to follow Satan, let those things drag you down, or are you going to learn from those things so they can help to build up God's most holy faith? One of the ways to do this is to confide in somebody to help you be strong. It's so important to have somebody to talk to that you can trust. We need to be looking in all ways to try to develop just moving forward like that. Let, let's go back Let's go back to Jennifer again. Uh, and I, I was very, very curious as to how, what happened for her to start a podcast? And th- this is really a fascinating story. 
after the grand jury decision to no bill me, which meant that I wasn't criminally responsible for the accident, um, but I did have to go through due process. You know, there were 12 jurors who had to decide that. And I surrendered to the fact that I love the Lord, whether I served him in prison or at home. And then we had that jury decision that it was it was done and I wasn't just immediately better. It wasn't immediate relief. I still had a a prison that I lived in. They were just invisible bars. I was in a point where I was not willing to hurt myself, but I thought for sure my heart would give out and I would die of a broken heart early. And I sat in my my counselor's couch one day saying, I am uh, technically not criminally responsible. And everyone tells me this is just an accident, but yet I am still not who I was before. And I don't know how to be this new person. And there is just no one telling me how I can, how I should be. And my therapist said, so, you know, what I hear you saying is that you're frustrated (laughs) that there are no resources. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, why do I not have a, um, a website, a book I can read, you know, anything, there's nothing. And, and especially not from a Christian perspective. And he looked at me and said, well, he said, it looks like you have an opportunity here. If you don't like that, there's no resources. Why not become one? I was just like, well, okay. And I told the Lord that day, I said, I'll give it to you, Lord. I mean, I don't know what that means. And then he said, well, if before you can give it to me, you have to, you have to give me the mess. You have to, you know, you have to be able to talk about this without falling apart. And then I was like, okay, so that's my first step. Just learning to tell one person in a calm way and say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I've gone through, but this is what God's done for me in the meantime. He still answered my prayer. And in fact, can I pray with you? Eventually I found a website, the one, the only one devoted in the world to this, which is accidentalimpacts.org. And, you know, getting in touch with her, Dr. Marianne Gray, and just realize, just taking one little step at a time. And eventually it led to this podcast where I wanted to present my story and hear from other people who share my faith because I can't imagine doing it without my faith. And and if I'm being really honest, I feel like it has 100% been the reason why I am where I am today, mentally, physically, spiritually, just talking to the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me and to show me and to trust Him and say, you know, God, if this was an accident or cancer or heart attack or, you know, we have to trust you with this pain and you can make beauty from ashes. And if I don't really believe that, then I have nothing at all. One day I found a podcast, I found this platform and, you know, and it took me six months before I would record, but over and over God kept telling me, And then I finally did it. And it's been one of the best yeses of my whole adult life to meet people and to uh, hear their stories that they've trusted me with their story, whether it's in a recording or just in an email. Well, looking back, uh, conviction. I need to develop conviction to pass on freedom of forgiveness. Let others know of God's mercy, like David did in Psalm 32, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the songs of deliverance, Selah. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will counsel you with mine eye upon you. So we've got this looking back, developing conviction. And that's what Jennifer did in that, in that, in that soundbite, in, in finding the ability to become a resource for others. And she has really dedicated her life to helping others who have done something that they deeply regret, helping them one person at a time. And I, if I had time, I would tell you about some of the things she told me uh, that aren't being reported here about how she gets so involved in their lives and tries so hard to build them up and hold them up and give them encouragement and to pray with them and to, 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 to just give them hope that there is something that they can look forward to. So when, let's reframe our guilt and our shame. To the best of my ability, how do we do this? To the best of my ability, I must find a way to pass on to others the profound lessons that I am learning. Too many are hurting, and now I may be able to help. And that's why looking back is so important to get the encouragement of when we're looking back on the experience, maybe I can have some strength and experience and maturity now to lend to someone else so they can go through their trial with a little bit more grace and strength and a little bit more hope. As we move forward through the process of countering crushing guilt, you can see how hope is beginning to reappear. Repairing what is broken and paying it forward. What is left to finish off crushing our crushing guilt? Every small step we take in this journey represents priceless progress in our maturing as disciples of Christ. Just as an athlete does not forget the pain and discipline of their training when they win gold, we must realize that these experiences are eternally more valuable than competition and then medals. So it's a matter of taking small steps. Always focus on taking small steps. We've got a quote from Terry Guillaume. Guilt is always hungry. Don't let it consume you. <laughs> guilt is That's good. good. Guilt is good. But when we let guilt get out of hand and become ungodly, it is consuming. We have to stand against it. We asked Jennifer, Jennifer, what about forgiveness and trying to put forgiveness in order? And uh, again, she has some pretty profound things to say about that. My particular situation, I failed as a human. Like I, I'm not perfect. And that was something ingrained in me. Like I know that I am not perfect. Only God is perfect. And he supernaturally knew that there was a motorcyclist coming up that hill and was in a blind spot behind a big oak tree. I didn't. I can't see those things. Knowing God's forgiveness, I never questioned that because I just knew that he is so sovereign and he made me. And that accident was not a surprise to him. It was forgiving myself. And I remember thinking about this, like, if I expect a grace, I need to give grace. And that implies to ourselves. And so I had a real understanding that God forgave me. I wasn't sure if David would forgive me, the man who was in the accident. I wasn't sure if his children would forgive me. I, w I wasn't certain that my children would be able to forgive the absence of me while I was recovering and healing through this process. Um, so there were layers of guilt and layers of people who ne I needed forgiveness from. I didn't know how to forgive myself. That was probably the last part of this. You can't have happiness if you are holding unforgiveness. You can't have the true fullness of joy because any minute the enemy can swoop in and change anything if you are holding that seed of unforgiveness. 
okay, so then what's next? You know, I needed to talk to my children and say, I'm sorry, mommy cried and stayed in bed for so many weeks. You know, I'm sorry I didn't read to you and pray with you and and watch those movies with you. And, you know, I had to say, honey, I'm sorry that I couldn't take care of the house like I always would. And I'm sorry I haven't been available to you. You know, I had to ask for forgiveness to those near me. And of course, I was embraced with they were just happy they could see little pieces of me coming back. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like even a question. On hard days, I have to still say, hey, I'm having a hard day today. That means I might not be able to do all the things that I normally would do in a day. And I give myself grace. If I keep hating myself, I, I'm, I'm really poisoning my own body. I had to eventually say, okay, to forgive this situation. And that was really scary to, to say, like, who in the world gives me the authority And then I had to be like, that's the voice of the enemy. God gives me the authority because God says you must forgive to be forgiven. And that includes yourself, your human limitations. And to say, hey, the Lord forgives you. It's time to you forgive yourself. And the only way to really do that is that you make the change. You make that conscious decision to move forward as the best version of yourself, submitting to the Lord, growing in Him, taking on the identity of Christ, even when that means persecution, really glad you shared that entire picture because it just gives us a sense of how difficult this is. Everything is a process, and we can say, yes, God forgives me, but what do I do with me? Am I able to look at myself through his eyes and not mine? She reminds me of Luke six forty five that says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. This could have ended up a lot of different ways, but you could see that she has this good treasure in her heart to end up in this place. I think her foundation was very strong. And it's it, you need the foundation, but then you need to put the work in and you need the humility to, to be able to put the work in and keep putting the work in. And even now she says she has, still has bad days. And that tells you that this, it doesn't go away. But what you can do is still pay it forward like we were talking about before. So Julie, let's go back to looking forward through the experience and facing our guilt and shame. Sure. So we need passionate faith. I need to ref- I need my life to reflect a faith that is strong and focused because of my trials and the lessons I learned from them. The hardness must further focus us as proof of God's providence. My life must show forgiveness. And we see that in Psalm 51, verses 17 to 19. David said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering, and then young bulls will be offered on your altar. So putting it all in perspective, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Put your heart in the right place. God's not interested in, in the, the outward things that we do. He's interested in what comes from within so we can do the out, outward things that we do. God loves the broken heart that seeks for him. Once David, in Psalm 51, came back to God with a clean and contrite heart, he could now begin to praise God with acceptable sacrifices. And think of the relief that David would have had being able to praise again, because he was an emotional man, and he the, the relief of being able to just let the praise rip 
because he understood God's forgiveness. Our passionate faith can flourish because of the deeply personal price that was paid for us. Isaiah 53, 4-6 Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So our passionate faith has to be centered on Christ. David had his passionate faith as centered on fulfilling the law and doing God's will, but ours is centered on Christ, and that's where our forgiveness originates, develops, blossoms, and matures. It's all there. So as we reframe our guilt and our shame, let us strive to see Jesus and his sacrifice every day, especially, especially when we feel weak. His faithfulness and sacrifice give us a way for our faith to flourish. That's where we get our strength. That's where we learn to stand and put guilt and shame in the appropriate place over time. This doesn't happen quickly or easily. It happens over time. Finally, we asked Jennifer, okay, so what have you learned and how have you changed and what would you say to others? One, just my relationship with the Lord is so intimate, I would never replace it. You know, we went through brain surgery twice. And I used to say this the first time my daughter, my oldest daughter had brain surgery. I told people I would walk the same road because I just saw how good God is and how faithful he is. And to just be in the place where I loved him so much and relied so much fully on him and trusted him with the life of my daughter. I would walk this road again. Well, you know, I eat those words because then I had a second daughter and she has the same genetic disorder. And <laughs> God said, well, you said, yeah. and then we walked it a second time. And then, you know, my marriage, we had this joke with my husband. Well, if we can survive brain surgery twice with both daughters, you know, we can survive anything. And then we have the accident. I, I mean, I, I could have gone to prison. My husband stood this is the only thing that's going to make me cry. Um, just seeing my husband stand so firm that he was by my side no matter what. And that is so rare in this day and age. And I wish it weren't true, but going through the suffering and going through the persecution and going through the trials, it can bring out the most beautiful things if we choose to walk it in a holy way. Because if this had happened and he said, oh, I'm taking the kids, you go live with your parents, we'll keep in touch, but I'm going to get them you know, therapy and I'm going to move on with our lives. And um, I don't want them to be you know, associated with that. I want to try and protect them. <laughs> and I was shut out. Well, God can't get the glory from that. But walking it out and saying, you know what, we made some vows that said for better or for worse, I am here with you. If that means we spend Every dime we have, we sell everything we have to pay for your legal fees. I would rather live in a cardboard box than be separated from you. And that's what my, my husband told me. So unconditional love, that lesson came through this. Compassion for other people, even those who make choices that lead to their consequences. I used to pray for meekness. <laughs> be careful what you pray for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much so. Um, 
your relationship with the Lord matters most. So when everything else falls to pieces, to dust, changes because everyone has a choice, your relationship with Him can remain. And it's okay to feel what you feel and that God is not just a book of rules. He is really about just love and relationship. And the more you love Him, the more you want to to do the things that will not harm you. If you um, want to reach out to me, um, you can go to accidentalhope.com and you can find the uh, the stories of other people who have experienced similar. And I, and I actually share it from both sides. So if you are listening to this and maybe it, it kind of rubbed you a wrong way because you've had an experience where you have to forgive someone like me. I also present the story of the family members who have lost a loved one. So I share both sides because this is big and, and it's only fair to share um, how someone works through the forgiveness of a situation like that from the other side. She'll always know that she took the life of someone else, even if it was an accident. And to the tender hearted, you can imagine what an excruciating trial this is, regardless of what we're shameful for. We need to follow what the scriptures tell us to do to get back into harmony with God and then live forgiven. Some of us continue to punish ourselves for past sins that were over a long time ago. We repented of those sins. We were forgiven, but we can't accept that forgiveness. Unwarranted self-accusation isn't healthy, and we become so discouraged that our spiritual lives are paralyzed. We can just imagine how much Satan enjoys getting us to that state of mind. So be careful. We have to be careful, and we have to be diligent, and we have to be fervent, and we have to be disciplined, and we have to be focused. This is hard. This is hard. There is no question about it. This is difficult, but it is so worth it because God's grace is bigger than any mess if we are repentant. Jonathan, our final looking back over my guilt and shame as a life lesson, what do we have? Maturity. As I mature in Christ, I can grow into encouraging others to be pliable in the hands of God. Back to Psalm 32, let's read verses 9 and 11. Do not be as the horse or as a mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bite and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So what this is saying is, uh, don't be stubborn like a mule. Continue to praise him. Yeah, and, and we can get stubborn because we, 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 we don't want to have to face everything. But that's not what this is. We can be called righteous ones. Why? Because Jesus paid the price to buy us from the sin. We can be forgiven. We have an unfathomable privilege of being personally loved by God. Let that sink in. But we have to approach him. We have to seek him. We have to be humble. We have to be repentant. We have to put all of those things in place. Jonathan, let's wrap up with Psalm uh, chapter 103, verses 12 to 14. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. God knows our frame. He knows our weakness. He knows our frailty. Let him know. Let him guide. Don't hang on to those things. Reframe guilt and shame. To overcome crushing guilt is a long and treacherous journey. 
However, the pitfalls, detours, and challenges are all navigable if we continually seek God through Jesus and are willing to humbly follow and do the work set before us. Folks, look, this is a huge journey, and we want to thank Jennifer Eichenhorst for being with us, for sharing her experience, for sharing the pathway, sharing the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the guilt and the shame and sharing God's grace and his forgiveness over time. And now one of the wonderful things she gets to do is help others go through that same process. Thank God for the process of forgiveness. Thank God for appropriate guilt. Thank God for putting regret in place. Folks, it can be done, but it takes work. Don't shy away from the work because the blessing is beyond comprehension. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or iHeartRadio or Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate us and review us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, next week, do we have the purpose of the Holy Spirit backwards? Do we have the purpose of the Holy Spirit backwards? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs>